Hello, and welcome to Local Legends. I'm Chi, outdoor fitness coach, and I am your host. Local Legends is a conversation with passionate cyclists who impact riding in Southern California, and specifically, San Diego. Here comes my next local legend. Welcome to episode 15 with Brian Scarborough. Brian is a local San Diegan who raised BMX as a young child. He didn't find cross-country mountain biking until much later. Now in his 30s, Brian races professionally with competitive medals. You will often see Brian racing in local races such as the Quick and Dirty Summer Series and the BWR San Diego, racing shoulder to shoulder with other local legends such as Pete Thole and Phil Tinsman as well as national pros like Pete Stetna, and against junior racers who are coming up on his heels. Brian won the National Cross Country Championship in 2016 and re recently won the BWR Dublerberg header in San Diego, which includes racing the waffle and the wafer on consecutive days. That's over 200 miles. To put it in perspective, an athlete aims to do the waffle in nine to 10 hours and the wafer in five to six hours. His cumulative time was 11 hours and 15 seconds. This interview was recorded two weeks after his win back in May. It was a delight to get a chance to talk to Brian about his racing, his BMX racing history, and how his experiences influence his racing today. We discuss his current training, balancing his work and training, and also the, the success of his most recent BWR double. It's funny because I've seen and known Brian for years, but never got to know him. He is a thoughtful and genuinely nice gentleman that is true to himself and his writing. Enjoy this interview with Brian Scarborough. I wanted to point out a little note about the sound quality. Brian's voice is much quieter than mine. The interview itself is awesome and it was so great to hear Brian's insights. However, for the best experience, listen to this when you are in the car or at home and able to adjust the volume. I don't recommend listening to this podcast while on a ride or a walk. Thanks, and I have worked out the kink to the voice recording. All right, so my next local legend, I'm so excited to have Brian. Thank you for being here, Brian, and being my guest. Yeah, thank you for having me, I appreciate it. We've had uh, a lot of uh, talented people on, and uh, yeah, super stoked for you having me. Yeah, um, it's kind of fun because uh, we've crossed paths a lot, and I think the only time I've ever ridden with you, but the only time that I got close enough to ride with you was maybe the Wednesday night ride in PQ. Yeah. But then you come and, you know, all hell breaks loose, and <laughs> that was a fun ride for two minutes. So um, I would love to know more about um, how you got to where you are now and where you hope to go. I don't know other than you got a national title. Yeah. And you won the double header for the BWR, so congratulations. So I'd like to talk to you about that. But yeah. how did you all start with riding? So with riding, um, I actually raced BMX when I was younger. So oh. yeah, up until about thirteen or fourteen, basically right when I was getting into that high school age, I I don't know if I got burnt out from it. Um, you know, my parents, my dad was he was pretty. You know, pretty tough on me, I guess you'd oh, say. So okay. I don't know if that helped burn me out, or but <laughs> it kind of helped me later on in life, right? So, but at the time, it was pretty hard to be pushed at such a young age, so yeah. hard, you know. 
um, just we did a lot of local races and then we were traveling a bit to some of the nationals and you know when you're 13 14 years old uh, you know competing at, at the highest level of that age group an expert it just it's a lot on your plate at that age it doesn't seem like it but um, so yeah so younger i was racing bmx and then i had a pretty big hiatus of racing basically mm. through high school and then i, I didn't do any racing where'd uh, you go to high school santana okay yeah. in in alpine no no that's in uh, uh santee oh okay okay yeah. so it's you live you, County, yeah. so you grew up in santee yeah okay i grew up in lakeside which is five minutes away from the school got it got it got it okay but yeah so like through through high school and, and early 20s i was riding and racing motorcycles going to the desert a little bit different than the whole bike scene, but uh, what got me back into the bike racing or riding was uh, one of my best friends moved to Colorado. And <laughs> you go out there and you just start looking around, you're like, wow, I need to explore this. So what I did was I rented a bike and I, that was some of the most fun I've ever had. And I was out there for about two weeks visiting him and I got back on a Sunday and I went and bought a mountain bike that Wednesday. Oh, okay. So. So it definitely like sowed the seed of like, this is fun more than anything else. Yeah, no, but, that, that for sure sparked my interest right away. I wasn't interested in racing at all. Oh. Right away. So I just went and bought a mountain bike. I'm like, this is the coolest thing in the world. I just want to go and ride my bike. And yeah, that's what got me started. So, wow. What did you get? Mountain bike. I got a Trek Fuel EX. Okay. Yeah. And you were what, 20 you said? Um, I think at that age I was 23, okay. 23, 24, somewhere in there. And yeah. when, when you brought back here or when you bought it, where did you start riding? Mission Trails. Oh, nice. So yeah, it's like five minutes away from my dad's house. Yeah. At the time. And, you know, back then when I first started riding, I had some fitness cause I came from motorcycle. Um, I was going to the gym, but okay. for me back then, my goal was really to ride like an hour without stopping. Right. So, I mean, do you laugh at that now or are you like I totally laugh at it now but then it also helped me you know helps me realize that the struggle of people that are just starting it's like it's hard yeah it's not an easy thing especially when you're just getting started mission trails isn't easy no it's not you're it's either not. there's nothing really flat out there it's up or down. <laughs> yeah so yeah so how did you well let me ask you this when you got on the bike and you said that the motorcycle doesn't translate, but it does translate a lot. The oh, for sure it translates. The skill of mountain biking translates from motocross right, right over. So you have no fear of like jumps and drop-offs. Well, I mean, I would say no fear. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely have, have a little bit of fear, but it, I definitely feel like it, def it helped me. What else helped me too was the whole BMX stuff. So mm -hmm. that definitely helps you um, keep a good rhythm on the mountain bike. Mm -hmm. That's super important. Um, and when you bought your mountain bike and you started doing um, mission trails, did you connect with the community right away? Did you get on? Did you do the Strava thing or not the Strava, or were you just riding your bike? And no, I pretty much started doing Strava right away. I would say um, I started doing Strava, maybe riding with a couple other friends that had bikes, okay. and then um, you know just riding maybe two or three days a week. And then I think one of the local guys that I would see out at mission trails, he's like. Well, why don't you why don't you do this race? Oh. Uh, well, what's it called? And he's like, it's quick and dirty. So that's kind of where it started for me, I guess. Is. And then you showed up, and, and you that, that was maybe a year after I started riding bikes. Okay. After I started getting back into it. And then you um, showed up, and you did well. 
No, I showed up and I got spanked. Oh. I got like maybe sixth in the beginner class. Wow. And I think that was like 2013. Yeah, about 2013 when I first started. I think that was my first. That is only nine years ago. Yeah. That is not a long time ago. No. And, um, it was at Lake Hodges. I remember it. It was, oh, it was so hard for me. Yeah, tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, so I had that, that first bike I had. It was a Fuel EX, I think, 8. It was an aluminum 26-inch bike. Okay. I got a, found a good deal on Craigslist. I went out there and raced it, and, man, I just got smoked. I, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to go from just riding at Mission Trails by yourself, right, and then translating that straight into racing. It was like, wow, I'm... I'm not that fast. I got I got work to do. So um, eventually, I ended up investing in a, a, a carbon bike, and it was a 29er. Started taking it a little bit more seriously, and uh, I just kept working working at it. There wasn't you know there wasn't any type of just breakthrough, but you just kind of steadily get better every time, right? So you, you know what to expect. You kind of start knowing what to train for. They're like an hour long race. So. Yeah. Um, so you are 34 and so when you were starting out, that was 10 years ago, you would show up and you'd be in the, the junior class. It wasn't junior. What was it? I think it was just beginner. Beginner. beginner And did you ever look at the people? It was like 16 to 29 was the age group. Oh, okay. Um, so so you never did NICA. You didn't do any of that. No, there was no NICA when I was in high school. Maybe, maybe that started like five years after I graduated. And then when you were looking ahead of like all the people in front of you, did you ever like wonder like how can they go so fast? Oh, 100%. I, it was just amazing to me that there was people that were just that much faster. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, but it really, that kind of drove me to, to better myself. Yeah. So what did you do? So what did you do? You're, you're working, you have the job that you have now yeah. at that time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I've been I've been with the Lumacraft is where I work. I've been there since I was nineteen years old. Okay. Yeah, oh so wow. I've been there for a long time. So let me just pause on the questions of your racing. What is so it's called the Lumacraft? And you build We build off road race cars. And that's something that you've always known, a craft that you've always done. Yeah. So I grew up going to the desert, stuff like that. Friends and family were always building building these off road cars. It's just something that I've always dreamed of doing and uh yeah i've been with the company last 16 years and um recently the owner uh, retired and so now it's just um me and the one other guy are basically running it now oh um, it's a it's a pretty good business and we build we build some of the some of the nicest off-road cars in the industry i'd say so, oh wow yeah. so who are your i don't know anything about off-road cars so i you, whatever you say, I, I would not know. So if you're saying that, I mean yeah. that sounds. And uh, the and you live in Alpine now. Is this yeah. is your where so you? Santee is where the business is. Right? Okay. And we build, we build trucks, buggies. We build cars that go to Australia. Cars that raced in Baja, all the deserts around here, Nevada, Arizona. Wow. Um, yeah, on top of that, we build sand cars that go to the dunes. And so you build it. You I saw a picture of you like. Um, um, welding uh, pieces together. So you build it from the beginning, you yeah. paint it, everything. Yep, from the ground up. And you go here, you go, and they can literally drive out? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, turnkey. No way. Yeah. How long does it take from start to finish? It depends. I've... Some, of the, some of the less complicated cars, we can do them in, in you know, two months. But 
recently some of the trucks, some of the more expensive cars, they're, they're up to half a million dollar cars and it, it'll take us the better part of the year to do it. Wow. Yeah. You have two, you and somebody else are the only people there. No, we have a, we have, oh, okay. a, pretty, we have a pretty good group of, uh, of guys that we work with, but uh, yeah, just recently we've been running it with two of us. So. Wow, that's yeah. impressive. And do you have your own? I don't. They're, uh, they're too expensive. They're pretty expensive and it's a big commitment. I mean, if you're going to spend that much money on a car, you, you, you want to use it a lot, right? So yeah. at the time I just, right now I don't have the time to, to go out there and use it, especially with all the training racing. Yeah. Um, so, so you're working in, you know, working and track commuting where you do. And as a, someone who works full time, it's hard to add more stuff on your plate so how did you like what did you just decide to you wanted to make this you had so much fun that you just wanted to ride more or did you now get more serious about training or the yeah. weekends so i mean for the most part it was pretty steady up until maybe about four years ago when i talked to my boss and i was telling him like look i really want to race professionally and oh, okay just so you know i'm i may need to take some more time off to do this or that and he was like you know, Brian, I've been waiting for you to come and, and ask me that. He's like, you know, I know you can do it. And, you know, you've been with us for a long time. He's like, whatever you need, you know, I'm here to, to help wow. you. Wow, so, what a great conversation. Yeah, and I was super stoked that he was, you know, able to let me do that. And, you know, right around that time, I started coming into work earlier and leaving earlier so I could get my training in. You know, I was starting work at six, but I'd be leaving by three o'clock. Yeah, that's great. So that leaves you leaves you a good amount of time to train. Um, still, though, I mean, the bulk of my my training is on the weekends. Okay, and what was your training ground like? Did you just go to Mission Trails and hit Mission Trails, as, or did you start to expand your training? Honestly, I never really went to just one place. Oh. I would do Mission Trails. I would go to PQ, like you'd see me uh -huh. the Wednesday night rides. I like to mix it up. I really don't like to train by myself. Okay. So like maybe only one or two days a week I'm riding alone, but usually I like to mix it up in group rides. Yeah. yeah so, so I'd be going to Mission Trails, PQ. I would do um, Fiesta Island on Thursdays. They have a, the Worlds there, Fiesta Island Worlds. And then usually it was either the Swami's ride or the the recently it's switched over to the Thug Ride. So. Okay. That was actually something I was going to ask you. What are your favorite group rides um, that you like to do in San Diego? So Let's start with uh, the thug ride. So how did you get, it seems like you were kind of on your own coming to these races and then like, I'm gonna train harder. So there must've been a point where somebody said, hey, why don't you come and join me on this ride? Is that how people invited you? Yeah, so I think maybe, I don't know, it's probably been like seven or eight years now. Um, I think it was Victor Sheldon that was telling me, he's like, hey, you know, you should come and do the road rides and train on Swami's ride. Okay. And that was like a whole other level for me. Yeah. I mean, you go from just training, just, you know, with maybe a few people on a mountain bike out to the Swami's ride. It's like, wow, these guys are rolling fast. And I, it wasn't something that I was used to. And I remember it was very hard for me the first couple of years of doing the Swami's ride. And the Swami's ride. Okay. I know there's like a Tuesday ride. Is this, that what this that was on Saturday? Okay. And how long is that? How... Um, it was about 45 miles, I think. Okay, and yeah. you guys would do it in two-ish hours? Yeah, it, it was like a 20 to 21 mile an hour average speed ride, a lot of climbing, it was, it was hard. And a, are you the youngin there, or are you kind of, is it mixed 
group of ages. It's a pretty mixed group of ages. I would say probably towards the younger side, there's probably a majority of them are masters that are doing it. Okay. But yeah, back back then, I would say I was probably one of the younger guys doing it. Um, so that that was kind of the the entry for me to riding to the next level, I guess, is starting to do those group rides because it really opened up my eyes of you know how actual training was rather than just doing a couple rides here and there with a few friends, right? Yeah. Um, and then did you from there start to meet other riders that brought you like, I guess, how did you learn how to do more and train harder? Like what, who, who are some of the main characters besides like you mentioned Victor Sheldon that kind of gave you some, some insights into training harder or get being a better rider? Um, really it was just the, the group of guys that are out there. I mean, there was, it was basically the same people every single week. You have oh. a lot of you have, okay. you have a lot of really fast guys that are living in San Diego. Um, you got Doug Thurlow. That's why we call it the Thug Ride. Uh huh. Thurlow and Doug. Yeah. Um, you got Pete. Uh -huh. Pete on here a while back. Victor was definitely one of them. Um, just getting mixed into the group of guys. You know, seeing where they came from from racing mountain bikes, and it kind of translated the that fitness bump that they got from doing those group rides yeah that really opened my eyes and you know, that's probably a, a pretty big reason of why you see me doing a saturday group ride pretty much every week that i'm not racing yeah because for me i could go out there and i could do intervals by my house but i think it's a lot more fun to come out here and, and, and hammer with a, a good group of guys yeah and like today you did the ride and it starts at 6 45. yeah which means you have to wake up pretty darn early yeah, so if I'm doing that, it's, I think I got to leave my house by about 5.45. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I have like, this happens, my brain has like five questions at the same time. Nice. Um, and then I forget all of them at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, how do you say balance with the work and like recharging and because seems like you race a lot and i don't know if that's just because i see you on the podium a lot like yeah. how do you do that so I, that you can... i honestly don't feel like i race as much as i used to okay but um are you saying like how do i keep from getting burnt out um and, that and like get feel yeah i mean every charge, all of yeah. it yeah so it's weird because like but you have the whole work aspect of what i do and then the bike side of things, that is how I recharge. Okay. So most people don't look at it like that, but that's, that's my recharge. You know, I'll go out and smash my bike for six hours. I'm recharging my battery for me. Wow. Me, that's amazing. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's, you know, part of what helps me, but for me, you're going out, you're riding, you're putting your phone in your pocket. You're not looking on your Instagram. Nope. You put everything away. And that's like the longest time I have away from looking at any type of electronics thinking about anything, I just go out there and I'm just able to just decompress, even though it seems hard, right, when you're riding or racing. Um, for me, that's that's my recharging. So you never get cracked, like from a ride? Oh, I yeah. do all the time, I do all the time, <laughs> but physically, not mentally. Okay. Yeah. Um, so okay so you're 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 start your first race and you meet a lot of people um and you want to become professionals what does that mean like so i don't know if the 
competitive medals start at the same time as you being professional? What if that what came first or? No, the competitive medals started in 2019. Okay. Yeah. So what happened there is obviously you see what I do with the off road industry. We work mm -hmm. with metal a lot. That's that's what we use, right? So uh, the owner of competitive metals, uh, Greg, he approached me in 2019. He, I think you know he kind of admired what I was doing with work and still racing at you know a high you know, elite level. That was in 2019. I think I'd been racing pro for two years at the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of the whole mission behind the deal was he wanted it to, he wanted to start the team to kind of show people that, look, you could still have a nine to five job and still compete with some of the best uh, athletes there are. Wow. So, yeah. So that was kind of the mindset for the whole team. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, Competitive Metals has sponsored a ton of motorsports stuff, off-road motorsports Oh, stuff I did not for, know that. Okay. Yeah, they've been around for about 15 years, and, and really for the last 15 years, it's it's only been motorsports stuff that they've sponsored. So really, I was their first athlete they sponsored. Oh. Mm -hmm. So are you in charge of the team, or are you just one of the athletes? Well, so I just started off as one of the athletes, mm -hmm. but then I've been talking to them, and we're trying to, trying to grow the team. Okay, yeah. but but with the idea of like um, at at an elite professional level. The so what what my goal is is to start somewhat of a development team. Okay. Not necessarily have people racing at the professional level, but definitely start grooming maybe some younger local riders into racing professionally. Okay, yeah. that's great. So okay, so they're when you started racing professional, that's not the the timeline of when how you got started and started racing and then got professional was like five years or something yeah so if we kind of circle back to when i started racing pro it was right i believe two years after i won the national championship so i won the national championship in 2016. Mm -hmm. it was at cross country it was cross country yeah so i was in mammoth so the first year i'll, I'll kind of go back yeah it was 2015 i got second um at nationals and it was it was pretty tough so i don't know if you've ever ridden at mammoth but it's it's like eight thousand eight to nine thousand feet of elevation yeah so you see where we're at now at sea level and it's it's a big change yeah yeah altitude yeah is a big deal um i remember buying altitude 10 <laughs> probably six months before the race and i was literally sleeping in an altitude tent for probably three months before the race so that's definitely one of the hardest things that i've done um, when it comes to training. I don't know if you've ever used one, but there, it wasn't hard for me to sleep and I actually slept pretty well on it, but it just becomes a hassle. Yeah. After, you know, you're basically sleeping in a tent every day. You're <laughs> zipping yourself in, into a tent inside your bed every single day. And it just, you know, it definitely helped acclimate me to the altitude, but I think it kind of burned, burned me out mentally. Mm. Using it. And it definitely takes a lot longer to recover when you use it. Mm -hmm, that's why I've heard that. Yeah. So you went to do nationals. So that was in 2015. Okay. So I went back the the following year. I'm like, man, I, I just I have to do whatever it takes. I have to train a little bit harder, maybe mm. a little bit smarter. And so I ended up using altitude tent a little less. Oh, okay. Yeah. So oh. I, and I think that helped me boost my intensity. Yeah, yeah. Race. I'd rather go into it and maybe not as be as acclimated to the altitude but have that higher range of intensity. Yeah. So you're not really able to train as 
high of an intensity while you're sleeping in the tent because you just you can't recover from those those hard efforts. Um, so yeah, I used it a little bit less, and um, that year I ended up winning. Uh, I was in I think third or fourth place going into the very last lap, and I was down probably almost three minutes. What? Yeah, going into going into the last lap. Tell me how long the laps. Uh, five miles or ten? Like, I think there were there was five laps and it was right around twenty five miles. Okay, so your stop was about five miles. Yeah. Okay, so you're three. Okay, because so these guys that were in front of me, they were going all out, and I couldn't go all out. I had one speed, and if you go back and you look at my lap times, they're all the same, even my mm. last one. So I think the guys they maybe they cracked going into the last lap, and I just basically kept my same. Stage, no way. Stage, stage through, yeah. And I barely got it. it. Was That was definitely one of the hardest things that I've done. Um, it was probably more mentally challenging for me and more, uh, I don't know if you'd call it anxiety, but you know, the pre-race anxiety uh -huh. for me trying to win a cat one, because it's almost expected of you when you're trying to race at a, uh, that level, I guess. Um, it just feels like there's less pressure to me when you go to pro. You're like, well, oh, I'm okay. starting over and this is okay. like I'm racing with a different group of people and then I'll kind of just race my way into it and see, see where I'm at, right? So a lot of the guys that um, I started off racing in pro, uh, you know, they were racing Cat 1 several years before that, so I kind of I had an idea of their speed. And really at the time, it wasn't a whole lot quicker than what we were doing in the Cat 1 stuff at all the local mountain bike races. Okay. So... So you got national, you won the national when, uh, just, I don't know if this is a random stupid question, but when you line up, are the, are you racing against like the same kind of people or are you show up and you're like, I have no idea because you made a comment of like, I saw their time. So did you know your competition? Um, when I was doing the cat one, not like in, in uh, mammoth, you have some people show up from out of town but for the most part i'd say like the top four or five guys were from california okay so i was used to racing them in the gold state series here okay um but you know someone would come from nevada Arizona. you're like i don't know yeah you start looking at their names and where they're from and you're like uh oh these guys are from altitude and you, oh, start, okay. you start worrying you're like they're acclimated to this already this is not really anything for them so i think that was the biggest challenge for me was just looking to see who I was racing, but you kind of try and put that at the back of your head and not really worry too much about it. Cause there's really nothing else you could do when you're, when you're there. Yeah. You kinda, you've already done the work. So you just show up in your, in your race. Yeah. And so you, when you got to professional, um, who did you rate? What team did you race for? Or did you race for your, is that called privateer or? No, at the time when I started racing pro, I was racing on Stone Mouse Track. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So it was a pretty local, mostly, I think they're up um, from LA. LA mm -hmm. area. So and I was with them for, I think, four years. Before you went over to, to competitive. Yeah. Okay. And competitive medals end up being more of a privateer thing, I would call it. Okay. And yeah, that started in 2020. And as a pro, does your schedule of race schedule change a lot? Are you just race the same races, but with a different group? No, it, it definitely changed for me. So when I went from that Stonehouse team to the to the competitive medals team, I 
I started looking at what I was doing before and, you know, I, I kind of felt burnt out from racing those Gold State mountain bike mm-hmm. races because it was basically at the, there was five different venues and they were the exact same course and I had been racing it for five years. So I knew, I knew every inch of every one of the courses and it's just, it just kind of gets old yeah. after a while. So you start looking into different avenues of stuff. You're like, okay, well, I've never raced road. Gravel was pretty new. And I'm like, well, there's the BWR, which has been here for a long time. Yeah. I've always kind of watched it and kept an eye on it. And I'm like, well, I'm not really a roadie, but this has a lot of dirt <laughs> in it. So maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I could take advantage of it. Right. And, uh, so I started looking at more events towards gravel endurance mountain bike racing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of how I changed my schedule. I kind of leaned out the shorter mountain bike mm-hmm. events. I started going towards races. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard of the park city point to point. What is that? So it's in park city, Utah. It's a 75 mile mountain bike race. Okay. I think it's like 12,000 feet. Of wow. It's, wow. It's insane. And this is a real, hardcore mountain bike race. It's got to be probably one of the hardest races I've ever done. Even compared to the VWR, it's, it's right there, maybe even harder. How many people line up? Um, I would assume not as many. Probably around 400. Okay. Yeah, it's, not, it's not nearly as big as, as what you'd see like VWR, but it's very challenging. And you did that? It's, yeah. It's, I want to say they, they advertise it as like 95 plus percent of single track. And it is, and it's, it's hard. It's a lot of turns, a lot of climbing, a lot of rock gardens. It's nothing that you could really like hold your speed on. Like you would say a 75 mile road or gravel event. This is, I think it takes like six, roughly six and a half hours. For you. Yeah. For me. 12,000 feet of climbing, Mm -hmm. man. And it's, I don't know the, the area very well, but is it altitude or it's about 4,000 feet or park city. Where Park? we start down low, it's it's right around, I think seven thousand. It climbs right up to about nine thousand. Okay, so yeah. it's, no, it's in the altitude. They have the um, the Winter Olympics there. I won't oh, so, yeah, it's, it's it's in the altitude. Okay, sorry, I I heard Utah, and then yeah. um, I got I forgot that you said it was in Park City. Yeah. Um. Wow. So now I'm lost on our timeline. So my, I think my question originally was yeah, like, you were asking me kind how, of where I started changing sh- up my events. And, yes. Yeah, started going towards the endurance events. Um, events like Park City, Utah, the Grizzly 100. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, the BWR, Utah, and then the one here in, in San Marcos. Yeah. So, you like the endurance ones? I do. I feel like I do better when it's four plus hours long. Okay. Yeah. Because I feel like it has a lot less to do with maybe what your threshold power numbers uh-huh. are, right? Because you kind of get tired of looking at those after a while. But it has to do more with just your long-term endurance, your fitness, and and mentally, your mental strength that you have to to basically uh, just do whatever it takes to 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 race for six hours. A lot of people mentally crack before they physically crack. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like that's always been an advantage for me um, that I'm able to to push, push beyond the the mental and physical limits of myself, I guess you'd say. Um, Do you think that's just the way you're programmed or do you, how do you work on that? Um, I I think that's just the way I was raised as, as, like I said earlier, when I was racing BMX, um, 
even if I was racing local races and I would win, if I stopped pedaling 50 feet before the finish line, I would get yelled at. So I, even if I was fully going to win, I had no problem to do. So I think even today, that's still in the back of my head from my dad yelling at me back then. <laughs> is like, you better finish as hard as you can, no matter what place you're in, you have to go all the way to the finish line. So even on days where I'm out there and it's 100 degrees and I'm fully cracked, I'm cramping, I'm like, okay, well, I'm still going to pedal as hard as I can to the finish because, you know, what good is it going to do if I don't, right? Yeah. I, I, as, as a young man in the sport, it seems like you kind of quietly learned a lot just by watching and observing and um, been very introspective. I don't know. Yeah, no, 100%. So who are the people that you gravitate towards then? Who are the writers that you try to simulate, not simulate? Um, oh, my God, I can't think of the word. Like um, training partners? Yeah, training partners or like that you mimic or... Uh, aspire I don't know if we to mimic or anything like that, but uh, like a lot of the guys that I train with here on the thug ride, you learn a lot from them. They're they're masters racers, so obviously they have way more experience than me. You you definitely learn a lot just riding uh, weekly with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think I think that uh, one of my training partners, Brandon uh, Chris Powell, okay. Therapy, we when we train together, I don't know. It's just good to train with like minded people. Right? Yeah. So. It's more of a mindset to me, like hanging out with guys that are willing to do what it takes to train to do well at these races. Like not, not everyone expects to go out and win the BWR, but I guarantee you we're out there training just as hard as any of the pros are. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really, you don't really have to win to have a winner's mindset, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. I, it's good to hear that you, yeah. that's how your mentality of. For me, it totally is. So, I mean, I'm lining up with people that get paid to do it for a living. So, I mean, my goals aren't always going to be to go out there and win, but I'll do what what it takes to have my best result, right? Wow. That's, um, I was going to ask you, like, how do you line up? Do you always expect to win? No, I definitely don't always expect to win. But like I said, you, you have your own results and your own goals and your own personal best. And that's usually what I, I strive to do. Yeah. That's very admirable to, to hear that perspective. It's such a healthy approach to racing. Yeah. Because um, you line up at these races, you know, everybody that you're lining up with, mm-hmm. you know, you got Phil Tinsby on one Phil Tinsby on one side and Pete and all your buddies are there. Yeah. And then you're like, let the best man win. Yeah. Good Pretty much. I mean, mostly look at towards the bigger races where you have like world tour guys show up. It's I don't really get intimidated from them, but I know that I have my own goals in mind, right? So like maybe I'm not going to go out and drop uh, Pete Stetna, but you know I'm going to do my best to, to race with them and, and hold my own, right? When did that happen? What what, what kind of race was that? Was that BWR? Uh, I think that was the 2019 BWR. I've done a few other races with them, like Rock Cobbler. And, um, the recent uh, BWR San Marcos just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So, yeah. so let's talk about BWR. So you did the double. How do you say the double? Double. Double. I think it's called the uh, the double. Okay. The and congratulations, you won. Yeah. By not a lot. I mean, for that long of a race, I mean, five minutes is. No, yeah, it's pretty close. Uh, and the thing is, too, is I have no idea what type of lead I had. Oh, I was going to ask you if you knew. Yeah. So 
there was no like timesheet where we knew exactly, you know, how much the next guy had on me. They just basically showed me who was in like the top five or the top 10 of the day going into the duel uh, on the line on Sunday. And, and basically I was just trying to calculate where I thought I finished in front of the guy that was in front of me. Cause at the time during the race, I was in second. Oh, on, on Sunday. okay. I knew I'd finished in front of the guy um, the previous day, but I just didn't know where he was because I didn't. I didn't really look at the results after Saturday. I was just. I was tired. So just to pause for a second. So the double du doubler is uh, the waffle on Saturday. That's 132 miles. Yeah. And that take took you eight nine hours. Uh, I think it was like seven hours and eight minutes. Oh, yeah. oof. And then the next day you show up at the same time and ride 75 miles yeah so most people the waffles enough but i think maybe 50 people decided to do both or yeah, something no, like the that waffles definitely enough anybody that came out on sunday is uh is pretty crazy yeah <laughs> um and i didn't know i'm like how many people would do that so i didn't know that you had done that and you I actually wasn't gonna do it oh uh, no I wasn't, and I signed up, and I think Phil Tinsman kind of talked me into doing the, the second day. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so I'm glad I did it. Uh, it was tough. Uh, I woke up on Sunday morning, and I was like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. <laughs> I just, I felt, I felt bad. I did not feel good. Even just walking hurt. So I figured, you know what, I'll just go out there. I've already signed up for it. I'll line up, and... Maybe if I get to the top of the first hill, still feeling good, then, then I'll <laughs> then I'll do my best, right? Well, I mean, I was going to do my best anyways, but but here's the thing with the wafer, you're still racing the wafer, so there's people oh, yeah. that did not do the waffle the day before, yeah, and it wasn't like you're like I'll just stay mid pack. You got, I believe. You you placed in the second, like overall. Yeah, second overall. Second overall on the wafer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, there was actually a. There was a ton of juniors that showed up that just did the the wafer ride, um, fast juniors. Uh, so it was, it was pretty tough. It was pretty punchy the first, probably the first five to ten miles. Um, I would say with the juniors was more punchy than the day before racing with World Tour pros because they know we're racing for a hundred and. 130-something miles, so it's pretty steady. Uh-huh. Uh, but, yeah, Sunday was definitely a whole other deal. Does that make you wonder, like, what you're capable of doing, like, that that you were able to do those two races back-to-back? -back? Um, you know, I would be interested in trying maybe some state races. I, okay. But, um, no, I didn't – I honestly didn't think I was going to be able to, to, to do that well on Sunday. That was never really – I thought maybe I could finish like the top five of the whole the whole combined time, the double hunter. Um, I didn't think I was going to be able to win it. I, that is fabulous. Well, congratulations. That is amazing results um, um, and an accomplishment. I mean, like I, like you said, the waffle alone was was a big was day. Enough, yeah, I mean that's seven hours in the saddle. I think the year before was a bit shorter. Mm -hmm. but they added more dirt into it this year. So, and you yeah. came over, you came out 11th overall. 11th on, on Saturday, yeah. And that's really an amazing time. I mean, it was a very stacked field of. Yeah. No, I mean, as far as uh, the athletes that showed up to that, it's it's some of the best athletes I think I've, I've raced against as far as the depth of the field we have there. So finishing 11th for me was, 
was pretty good. Um, I think fitness-wise, I probably could have done a little bit better, but I was cramping pretty bad. Um, yeah, I think come mile 90 it was. So my legs were locking up. It was horrible. How did you work through that? Um, I remember, did you? Or did you just deal did, with it? I didn't really. I kind of just dealt with it. So we were coming <laughs> out of uh, Bandy Canyon. Okay. The second time. Second time. <laughs> and I think I was coming over the top of the wood with uh, one of the Legion riders and he was drilling it up. And I think at the time we were in top 10 and I literally came over the top of that climb with one foot unclipped because my leg was locking up. Oh, geez. Yeah. So uh, it was, it was a very rough day, but I just, I don't know how, but I held it together somehow. Um, yeah, it was tough. I have never cramped like that in a race. Wow. And there's not, you're not done climbing either after that. You oh, still no. got Quest Haven no, and all that. You still got Quest Haven, Double Peak. Yeah, you know, you still have about 2,000 feet of climbing at least after that. Yeah. So then, um, so not like to f go forward, but it seems like you do all the races that are nearby in San Diego. I'm not sure if that's just what I noticed or there's just starting to come up. What does your schedule look like? I mean, do you do as many races as you can, or do you like? I'm trying to spread them out a bit so I can I can do better. Because for me, with my whole work schedule, it's kind of hard to have a bunch of big A A list races for mm -hmm. me. So I'm trying to spread them out. Um, I think the next race that would be out of town is probably going to be the VWR North Carolina. Oh, that's coming up pretty soon in about it's, six weeks or you know, so. Less than a month. Yeah. yeah. So. There's that race. Uh, I'll end up doing the VWR Utah. Okay. Yeah. So we, uh, for the That's... most part, those are the only ones that I'm doing that are out of town, mm -hmm. you know, outside of California. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how, how the, but uh, we have the quick energy races too that we do here on the Thursday. And you're, you're here committed to the, all of those. I'm going to try and do most of them. Yeah. Um, they're definitely hard to do when you're trying to do a big training block. You have a big, it's, I think, uh, quick and races are right around one hour, um, which is good to mix in a, a pretty good uh, one hour of intensity. But yeah, when you're trying to block in some training for those longer, longer events, um, it's best for me not to have a race in the middle of the week. Yeah, I can imagine. So you must like sleep a lot and eat a lot. I mean, you are constantly pushing yourself to even your long rides are hard. Yeah. So how do you recover and what do you, how do you take care of yourself? Cause you look, you look healthy and lean and you're. Honestly, I, I don't know. I, I don't really, my sleep schedule is probably not the best. Oh really? <laughs> it's probably not. But I think other than working and writing, I, I'm pretty much just relaxing. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, I'm pretty good at, it looks like I train a lot, but I'm, I'm pretty good at taking some easy days. I think that's where a lot of people's biggest mistakes are. Like they'll see the volume that they're doing, but it's like, what are they doing? You know, because if you just do super high intensity and volume, you're just going to be blown out physically and mentally. And I think I've always done a pretty good job of balancing that to where I'm always not fresh, but I'm just not worn out. If that makes oh, sense. Oh yeah. So you don't sleep that well. I mean, I, not for, <laughs> not for a professional athlete. No. Um, I do, I do. Okay. I think I go to bed at like 10, but I'm up at five. Yeah. So probably not. No naps. No, <laughs> no, there's no time. For, I, I drink too many, too many 
too many cups of coffee for, for now. Do you? <laughs> yeah, you have a big, big, he has a big coffee drink in front of him. Yeah. That's like. So I think I drink at least probably four cups of coffee a day. It's pretty bad. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you said you like to relax. So what, what do you do when you're not working and not on your bike? Are you just. Not much, honestly. Like I said, I mean, besides working, my, my hobby is cycling. So like, yeah, I race, but that's also what I do for fun. So um, maybe after the long, hard rides we do, we usually do a coffee shop ride and, you know, we'll sit there and, and talk over coffee for probably two or three hours sometimes. So that's good. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's fun. I mean, that's part of the whole experience, right? Just hanging out and relaxing and talking with your friends one weekend. So yeah. So you, to me, you seem like you were 20 years old. So I, when you told me you were in your mid thirties, I'm like, wow. Um, so are you taking anybody under your wing? Do you see the juniors and do they look, I'm sure they look up to you and like, I want to, you know, keep up with you. Do they come up to you and like ask you, or do you see what they're doing? And like, wow, they're coming up fast. Like these guys are, have a lot of potential. No, there's definitely a lot of local talent that's coming up pretty quick. Um, I think one of the kids that I've been taking kind of under my wing would, would be Zach Martinez. Mm -hmm. uh, he's 14 years old now. Um, I've done some coaching with them. Lately, we've kind of leaned off the coaching, maybe just a little bit more of a mentorship. Yeah. You know, until he's a little bit more ready to have like an actual schedule with coaching. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, other than that, in San Diego, we have, we have a lot of talent that's up and coming. And... <laughs> They're definitely right there uh, with me as far as the fitness is concerned. So it's it's only a matter of time before they start smoking. <laughs> You're like, I don't want to tell you too many of my secrets. Yeah. Um, so that's really cool that you um, mentor because what I've been hearing about your training and your mindset, I think that's a really great, healthy perspective. Mm -hmm. um, these days, I almost assume everybody's like out to just kill themselves and I always like slow down like rest so it's... yeah I mean the biggest thing is you have to make it fun for yourself if you just go out there and burn yourself out then there's no point in doing it you're, you're going to be done within year, a few years right so the biggest thing especially if you're working with somebody that's 12 13 or 14 years old you're, you know they still have to make it all the way through their junior years the u23s and, and become a professional so that's a lot of time still left over mm -hmm. and the first, you don't want to burn them out, right? So that's the first thing that you look at. Yeah. What other tips do you give them as, you know, as, as, as they look up to you, whether it's like, do you work, help them with their skills or are they like, I mean, you've been with your skills from BMX and then the motorcycle background and all your experience. I don't know. Is that still a thing yeah, or? No, I mean, skills, I mean, Zach is already pretty skillful himself. Okay. He's pretty, he's, he's pretty uh, technically He's doing pretty good already. But I think that the biggest thing that I look at with the kids nowadays is just just don't burn yourself out. That's the biggest thing. And then second, you kind of you know, have fun, right? Mm -hmm. And then the training aspect and the results will come later on. Yeah, that's that's really great, great yeah. to hear. Mm -hmm. And um, kudos to you for, for giving that guidance. I think that's a really healthy yeah. approach. Um, so you don't do any other hobbies, any other sports, rock climb or? No, I mean, I would like to get into something else just to kind of take my mind off of everything else. But, uh, for now, I, I don't really have any, any extra time. Yeah. I... You know? But working over 40 hours a week and training, 
on the bike probably yeah, I'd say twelve or fifteen hours a week and then a little bit of okay. gym work. It's, mm -hmm. Starts adding up. Yeah, I was gonna ask you how many how many hours on the bike? Uh, twelve to fifteen hours. Yeah, twelve to fifteen hours is pretty normal. Uh, maybe a few months out of the year, I'll try and bump it up to eighteen. Yeah. But anything over that, really, it just it starts to bog me down mm -hmm. mentally and physically. So I try to keep it a little lower. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's seems like a reasonable amount of time uh, on the bike. And then you say you do some strength, some gym work. That's yeah. good to hear. Yeah, I do my gym work uh, in the off season usually. Mm -hmm. If I'm doing any type of weightlifting, um, usually October, November, December, mm -hmm. I'll do some weightlifting. And then after that, throughout the year, I'll usually do a little bit of lighter weight training weekly. Yeah. So every week I'll do it. Yeah, that's 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 perfect. Mm -hmm. Really well well rounded um, athlete. So today you did the pre ride, which is the ride before the thug ride. Yeah. But and then tomorrow, so we, we talked a little bit about um, the rides that you do. So what's tomorrow's ride? So we'll do the thug ride on Sunday okay. this week. Yeah, because everyone's doing a road race today. Uh, yeah, I think they're usually between fifty and fifty and eighty miles. Yeah. And how many people show up for those? I mean, we've probably had 50 people out there before. Yeah, it's a pretty big group ride. And uh, it's, it's like you, you need to be invited to these kind of, or if you show up, you better know what you're doing. Yeah, um, it's not really an invite only, but for the most part, we have a, uh, a group text message that we send out. Okay. And usually we change the route every, every week. Oh, really? Yeah. That's good. I didn't uh, know that. I thought it was the same route. No, it keeps it pretty interesting, but I think there's got to be over a hundred people on this group text message. Um, so there, there's a lot of people oh, that do it. Oh, yeah. a text string with a hundred people. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's quite the, yeah. the group. Wow. Yeah. And, um, does it end up being like a road race? Like, or well, does everybody hold their line? Are people attacking? Like how does, well, I haven't done a whole lot of road races, but I, I would say it's for me, it's probably harder than a road race because there's not really a finish line and you pretty much go until you blow it. It seems like, uh, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Um, most of the people that do it are road racers. So okay. I think it's, it's pretty safe for the most part. Yeah. Um, we haven't had any issues with that, but yeah, it's, it's some of the toughest training that I, that I do is, is on those group rides. Um, for me, I, I just, I'm not a guy that likes to go out and do intervals. So I just try and mix it into the group rides and uh, I'll try and ride hard uh, during them. So, yeah. and then you got 30 or 40 other guys that also want to ride hard. So it, it just, it makes for a really good workout. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I was like trying to go through like my, your experience um, with the racing. So, and, and your, your timeline, I didn't realize that you've only been racing for less than 10 years. Yeah, this is, you've been wonderful. All this information and your, your values and sharing um, your insights are by far um, impressive. So you, I'll, one last question. So you mentioned about having like anxiety before the race. So is that just a pre-race yeah, I don't know what it is. I'm pretty sure everyone everyone has and that's their, what I was their ask. pre race anxiety. I don't think there's anything. I think if you don't have a pre race anxiety, even if it's a small race, then maybe you just 
maybe you don't really care what type of result you're going to get. But for me, I've I've always had it. Usually, the bigger the race, the more anxiety comes with it, right? So how do you uh, like what? What? How have you managed that? Or uh, how do you like ignore it, embrace it, put some music on? Like, what do you do with that? I try and I guess just keep my mind off of the actual race. And in the back of my mind, I also think to myself like. Well, it's the day before the race. There's nothing I'm going to do that's going to make myself any better than I already am. True that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to just magically <laughs> get 10% better the night before. So you have that in your head. So really the only thing that you can do is make it worse for yourself if you just sit there and think about it all night. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just try to keep my mind off of it. Yeah. And just say you're ready. Mm -hmm. You just have to make sure that you're ready. And then other than that, there's not much else you can do. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, this was wonderful. Thank you so much. Do you have any thoughts or anything no, else? I think you pretty much covered most of it. Yeah. yeah You're you. awesome. Really, Appreciate really it. glad to, to have this time with you. Welcome back, and thank you so much for listening to Local Legends. I had a really great time getting to know Brian and his story, which I find very inspiring. I'll leave you with a little bonus conversation. See... Something happens after I hit the stop button. That's usually the time when I get the good stories and the deeper conversations. After I hit the stop button, I spoke with Brian more about his father and racing and how his dad comes to his races and is his biggest fan. Here's a little snippet of that conversation after the interview. This is another way. I just record and then that way I can like use it or not. And yeah. so what happens? So you guys were riding with COVID. Yeah, so riding with COVID, and it was, you know, maybe a few weeks after the whole COVID lockdown stuff happened, and we're like, well, we're still going to ride. Maybe we won't ride with a huge group of people, so mm -hmm. it'll just end up being a smaller group, and we started texting each other, and I kind of got into the group maybe a, a few weeks after it hit started. Um, yeah, it was Thurlow, Doug, Pete, Tony, Logan Bass, and maybe a couple others. Um and we're like, well, what do, what do we name this ride? Because it's not the Swami's ride anymore. And I kind of looked towards maybe who started it slash who is more of like the, the legendary guys on the ride, which Thurlow, everyone knows who Thurlow is. And then Doug, also both great. Um, so we, we called it the Thug Ride. I think several people named it things, but I think the, the Thug Ride is the one that stuck. Yeah, that's it's fun because it, it it makes you think like that's where all the badass people are, and it's gonna be a, a what's it called like a fight off or something. Oh, and it is. <laughs> it pretty much is. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely the the hardest training ride that that I do. So that's awesome. Yeah, you guys should make shirts or something. I thought about making some stickers. That oh, we could maybe put on our seat post or something. Yeah, you guys would because nobody would put that sticker on unless they've done that ride. Like, yeah. Oh, and yeah, we wouldn't just give them out to anybody. Yeah. You have to earn it. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. That's good that you have a group of guys that... Um, I'm a, is there any girls that show up? Does Rhonda ever show up to this? Um, she's been on it. Um, yeah, Lindsay Goldman, she shows up to them. Okay. She's she's a hitter. She, she's up there with the guys taking pulls. She's fast. Um other than that, there's not a whole lot of other women that show up to it. Um, there's maybe they're on different uh, other group rides. Mm. Yeah. 
but there, there are fast women in San Diego for sure. Yeah. But I would say Lindsay's probably one of the faster ones that, that shows up to the ride. Interesting. Yeah. I've never, I have not got that name yet. So mm -hmm. it's always fun to see who influences who, and it's uh, definitely an interconnected web. The more I'm doing these interviews, the more I realize who inf helps influence other people. Because um, Pete was a really big influence on me. Oh, okay. And then I learned who he gets influenced by with Chris, Chris Horner and the Thug Ride. I'm like, yeah. so then you're in that same group um, and you're influencing young right. kids. I think Pete also made a pretty big uh, fitness bump when he started doing the, the road rides. Cause oh, I think, he said for sure that changed yeah, it. I think I got started doing the road rides before Pete, but once he started doing those, a huge bump in his fitness. Um, I, I was riding mountain bikes with Pete much before he was doing any of the road group rides. But yeah, definitely that was, that was right around when we started getting faster. It was just the group ride stuff. So. You guys definitely make road riding appealing. Like I'm not much of a road rider, mm -hmm. but when I hear this, it like, you know, like, I don't know. It doesn't sound or look very appealing, but it just for whatever reason it is, um, it's, it's competitive. It's, it's not only the competitive side and the training side, it's a lot of us show up for the ride, but we're also looking forward to maybe having coffee with each other and Aww. talking smack afterwards. Perfect. Yeah. Super good, super good. All right. Thank you, thank yeah. you again. Yep, yeah, no problem. What you got the rest of the day? I'll uh, probably drive home and Relax. maybe try and go to sleep earlier tonight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I usually get like eight to ten hours of sleep. And so when people yeah. like have like six hours of sleep, I'm like, how do you recover with that? It definitely doesn't help. I know that if I am able to go to bed earlier, I usually try. I just, I don't know. I feel like with work and then training afterwards, it mm. just leaves me so elevated that I'm not able to just kind of shut it down until later on. Do you set your alarm or do you just wake up? Oh no, for the morning, yeah, I have to set my alarm. If you don't set the alarm, do you if ever I, not? No, I usually wake up even without it. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, you do it for so many years, your yeah. body's pretty used to it. You don't mind waking up early? No, no, I prefer it. I prefer being more of a morning person. Yeah. Um, if I wake up at eight and I don't start writing till 10 or 11, I, oh, you're... <laughs> I feel bad. I don't oh, want to really? say I feel worthless, but I feel like I've just ruined the whole entire day. Huh. Yeah. So, I'm more of a morning person, I would say. Yeah. I mean, especially today, it was probably perfect because it was pretty toasty outside. It doesn't feel toasty in here, right? It no, doesn't feel no nice it doesn't feel hot in here at all. And right. yeah, by the coast, it's not bad at all. And Alpine is probably like 90 right now. Yeah, what's the altitude in Alpine? Uh, where I'm at, it's 2,000 feet. Oh. So, it's not, it's not high at all. But you know, I think of Alpine, I think of Alpine Brewing. Well, I'm actually pretty much right across the street from Alpine. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. Do you ever go to Cuyamaca? Is that, do you train there a lot? Um, on the mountain bike, I, I'll go up there maybe once every other month. But oh. I'll ride my road bike up there. Oh. Yeah. So up there, it's like between five and 6,000 feet of elevation. Huh. Like Cuyamaca, Mount Laguna area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's That's a good, cool. It's a good climb from my house up Sunrise Highway. It's... And then back, it's like 60 miles with 6,000 feet of climbing. That's nice. Just you got a, the loop. You got it all figured out. You just kind of know yeah. how long it takes. And yeah. Uh, it's, it's pretty much just a straight climb from my house to 
to Mount Laguna, but then it's downhill pretty much the whole way back, so. Nice. Nice. All right, well, I'll let you do it then, my All friend. Right. This well, 